and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Happy Saturday, everybody. This is Arizona Sports Saturday. It's your weekend stop for live and local sports talk. I'm Mitch. He is not Steve. No, I'm not. To me. As a matter of fact, he is the furthest thing from Steve, but that, in the best possible way. Is that true? Am I the furthest possible thing from Steve's Insmeister? We'll have to check with Steve on that, but I would say yes. Okay. Most of it is how tall you are in comparison to both Steve and I, but... Is Steve short? I don't know if I... He's taller than me, but he's shorter than you. I'm pretty sure. It's like a nice line. (laughs) You remember the singular bars? Yeah. Everybody else, do you joke about that? That's what I think of anytime there's like a height differential going its way up. Anyway, the other voice you're hearing is one half of the Cardinals Corner podcast. He does one last thought with Eric Ruby, usually an hour after us here on Arizona Sports Saturday. And he's my better half working behind the scenes on Burns and Gambo. He is Eric Ruby joining me here on Saturday. We're in front of the mics now. Usually we're uh, back working the buttons, making the magic happen. This is dangerous if they're putting us behind the mics today as opposed to... Buckle up, people. Exactly. (laughs) We're sorry, Trevor. We're sorry in advance, man. We're sorry. (laughs) We're going to just embrace what the Diamondbacks are giving us right now, and we're going to create chaos and embrace that chaos. I love it. That's Playoff baseball, man. This is so amazing. Is it not? This is... In my opinion, the best month on the sports calendar, Mm. October. Reason being, baseball postseason, you're in a big part of the NFL season, like the middle part, so teams have kind of figured out who they are, right? College football is nearing the end of its full season, and then you're just getting the start of hockey and basketball. It is by far my favorite month on the sports calendar. Close second is probably March or April. But I think October takes the cake. Yeah, you could tell like when you go to ArizonaSports.com and you look on the what's on tonight and you look at all of our broadcasts. And it's full. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's just so many games, right? Like we got Coyotes preseason starting today at three. You can hear that one on 92.3. Part of the reason that I'm with you today is because one last thought is not happening today because I've got to scurry on over to ESPN 620 and help produce that ASU football broadcast. They're taking on Colorado today at 3.30. And then, of course, what we got to talk about now, it's Diamondbacks. And it's those guys from L.A. in the NLDS once again. This is by far the most storyline scenario that the Diamondbacks could have had, right? You sweep the Brewers in the wild card, and now you're going to face the Dodgers. And the last time that this team was in the postseason, it came to an end at the hands of the Dodgers in the NLDS. Maybe some feelings of deja vu. Funny enough, J.D. Martinez is on the opposite side of the field in this series. But some feelings of deja vu. I don't know if you feel the same. Absolutely. So take it back to 2017. And I was at the Archie Bradley triple game. The game. Uh, the, right. That's one of those games where I feel like if you live outside of Arizona and you're maybe not even the biggest baseball fan, you're, you're not really aware of that game. But the Archie Bradley triple is up there with. Game one of the 2021 playoffs, I was in there for Lakers Suns. Those are the two loudest buildings I've ever been in in my entire life. And the high of beating the Rockies and being like, wow, okay, in the playoffs, exciting, like Archie Bradley triple, woohoo. Okay, let's take on the Dodgers, right? It's the Dodgers. Well, didn't end that great. And now (laughs) you you look at this year. And the Diamondbacks are coming off an extremely exciting wild card victory. One that has ties to almost a decade prior, which we'll get into like deeper later in the show. But 
a wild card series where they sweep the Brewers. They have multiple comeback victories, long ball home runs, injuries that they have to overcome. It is quite literally one of the more exciting wild card series that I've seen from the Diamondbacks or, you know, any playoff game in general. And now they're going on against the Dodgers. And while some people might be talking about the Dodgers, oh, their starting pitching isn't that great. Maybe they're not like a Dodgers team that won 110 games a couple years ago. This is still a really good Dodgers team. There is no debating that. They've been so good for what feels like so long. I'm trying to even think back at the top of mind. When was that? When was that first division title that they won? And then in 2021, the Giants beat them out by a game. And then it was oh, back to the Dodgers again. This Dodgers team has been a juggernaut for years. Whether it's been just the way that they've been able to scout certain individuals and turn them into gold, like. Justin Turner, prior to joining the Dodgers, was some filler player on the Mets and the Orioles, and then he became an all-star, got a big payday for Boston, et cetera, et cetera. Max Muncy, another guy who was cut by the Oakland A's and then turned into more of a three-true-outcomes guy this year, but he was an all-star, a silver slugger, if you will, can hold his own in a couple of positions on defense. But the defining, char- but the defining characters on this team in this iteration has to be at the top of the Dodgers order. Mm -hmm. Mookie Betts, who it will go down as still one of the most lopsided trades in recent MLB history. And Freddie Freeman, who, yes, a very obscure offseason of him getting to L.A., but he's still producing at the high level that Freddie Freeman has for all of his career. Oh, yeah. I mean, Betts and Freeman are the two most lethal offensive weapons you're going to face. With Max Muncy, he's a little bit later in the order. His batting average is really the only thing that has struggled a ton. Everything else has been ridiculously solid for Max Muncy. I'm worried about bets. I'm worried about Freeman, right? When you look at the two best players, you're always going to say, how are they going to come into play, right? You want to limit their long balls. You want to keep them inside the park because if they can get some momentum at the top of the order, this Dodgers offense is unrelenting. Like you mentioned, J.D. Martinez, batting 271 this year. Like He's... (laughs) he's one of those players, him and David Peralta, who's a platoon player for them. Whenever former Diamondbacks play the Diamondbacks, for some reason, it just feels like they stepped their game up. And I I don't know why. And it's not always just the players that were good here, right? Because Peralta and Martinez, in two very different ways, were very good for this franchise. It's even the ones who weren't good. Shelby Miller in the bullpen. Right. In sub two ERA. See, that's what I'm right. That's what I'm talking about. Not only do do players go to the Dodgers and kind of have a career renaissance a lot of the times, when former Diamondbacks play the Diamondbacks, something about them just kind of shifts and changes. Even if it's somebody like I mentioned this on, on Burns and Gambo this week, like Luke Weaver, who got a start for the Yankees near the end of the season. Yeah. He pitched like five innings of scoreless ball. Luke Weaver's pitched five innings of scoreless ball against the Diamondbacks. So there's a lot of things that you could talk about the Dodgers just in general. What scares you about them? They're starting pitching. Not exactly one of those things, but the offense and the fact that there's some sentimental value with guys like David Peralta and, and a little bit J.D. Martinez. His time here was so short. But he was so good. It was the best performance of a two-month stretch of baseball I think I've seen in the longest time. And he I'm so glad to witness him still succeeding at the level he is. It does kind of feel like, man, don't you wish you could have brought him back in some sort of capacity? Well, with the money that he was going to get. like, But with the rules the way they are now and the inclusion of a designated hitter in the lineup. And I don't think his defense would have been all that detrimental to the team. But 
you fast forward to now and you think the Diamondbacks defensive outfield presence has been one of the strengths of their team this year. So, yeah, you could look back on it and regret, but looking at it now, it'll be an interesting thing to see. You mentioned the pitching. Mm -hmm. There is one constant in that rotation, it seems, and that's Clayton Kershaw. And even he didn't expect to probably get to this point because he himself, like many of the Dodgers starters this year, was injured at some point this season and was out for a good period of time. But now that he is the one constant, it's almost as if the expectation is that the Dodgers are going to lean heavily on him today. Worst case, they can try and get five and a half, six innings out of him, and then they can just turn to this lights-out bullpen that they have. But their bullpen is probably going to come into play these next couple of days because behind Kershaw, Eric, it's very, very suspect, but it's been holding its own at the same time. Right. You you have to go into the playoffs. You have to understand that you're probably going to have a couple games if this series goes later where a starter does not perform to the level that they're expected to in a good or in a bad way. Right. You might get somebody like Clayton Kershaw coming out. And look, you said the only constant for them has been Clayton Kershaw this year, even though he's been injured. Well, the only constant in Clayton Kershaw's career has been what happens when you get to the postseason <laughs> and it ain't that great. No. So. I'm looking at Clayton Kershaw and I'm saying his numbers for this season are actually, they're really good. He's a sub three area, sub 2.5 area, 2.46, 13 and five win loss record. He at home has a sub two ERA, a 1.58. And of course the Dodgers being the higher seed, if this goes five, even if it doesn't, a majority of the games are going to be at home. Mm-hmm. However, Clayton Kershaw in the playoffs and the Dodgers in the playoffs have been somewhat consistent and underperforming. And in the term of what fans put it, blowing it. So they made it to, in the time that Kershaw has been with the Dodgers, they made it to, I'm trying to think off the top of my head correctly, but they've made it to three World Series. 2017, they ended up losing to the Astros, although people are feeling sentiment for the Dodgers in that scenario. You know how bad you got to be for people to feel bad for the Dodgers? (laughs) Like, can we just take a second and think about that? You know how awful of a baseball team you have to be for your opponent to be the Dodgers? And be like, oh, Uh, those poor Dodgers. I feel bad for the Dodgers. 2018, they lost to the Boston Red Sox. And then 2020, they finally make it to the ship and they finally win it in the shortened season. And however you want to asterisk that, that's up to you. But only three trips to the World Series in Kershaw's time. Only. And in Kershaw's, yeah, I say only. And in Kershaw's time, in the postseason, you mentioned it. It's teetered down a little bit. 13 and 12 record, a 422 ERA, 213 Ks. But you look at specific years, Eric, there's blow ups in there. Just last year in the playoffs, a 540 ERA. He only made it through five innings in one start. They lost in four games against the Padres. Mm-hmm. In 2019, a 7-11 ERA. Only got to pitch six and a third innings in two games. Not good. And you go all the way back even to 2014, the year that they were contending with the Giants, and they finally seemingly had taken them down. We all know what happened after that. A 7-8-2 ERA in two, in two games and 12.2 innings pitched. And Kershaw kind of put it into perspective as something that it's an experience he would not change. I think for the past however many years to get to be in the postseason, I've, I've become more grateful for it. You know, and I think um, I think at the end of the day, you know, I, I just look at some of the the things that have happened and the things that I've gotten to be a part of, and 
Um, not all has been positive, obviously, but I wouldn't change it. You know, I'd, I'd much rather fail on the biggest stages than not get to be here at all. So um, it's, a, it's a special thing to get to be in the postseason. And um, like you said, this year was a little bit uh, up in the air there for a minute. So uh, it makes you all the more grateful to be here. Sure. I feel like if you're the type of elite pitcher, a Hall of Fame pitcher, who's going to go down as one of the best to ever do it, but then when you get to the playoffs and the numbers tell a different story, you kind of have to get yourself in that mindset because as an athlete, as a pitcher, if you go in doubting yourself, that's bad. And real quick, that that means we have to bring up Merrill Kelly because he starts game one and he has had an awful career against the Dodgers. Oh, and awful. 5-4-9 ERA, 69 strikeouts, and 16 starts against the Dodgers in his career. That dates back to 2019. 22 earned runs in 24 innings. Not good. No. And he, you know, he started okay earlier this year. He didn't get a win for any of them, but then it was back in August. He had a seven-run outing. It was when him and Gallon went back-to-back and just got taken yard by the Dodgers. I mean, he look, he says, I'm overdue for one. I'm not thinking about it, which is great, but mm-hmm. if you're talking about it, you're thinking about it. It'll be an interesting matchup to watch, and we know for a fact all eyes are going to be on it. Diamondbacks at Dodgers, a 6-20 first pitch. We're going to have the game and the coverage starting at 5, or at 6, no, at 5.30, excuse me, here on 98.7 and on the Arizona Sports app. Coming up next, one of the two quarterbacks this weekend says it's a must win. Can you guess which quarterback said that? We'll dive into it next here on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. We got no Steve today. We got myself, Eric Ruby. But luckily for everybody, we do have a Mitch. That is Mitch Veraldez. We are Arizona Sports Saturday for is this that fine a Saturday. sort of scenario? It is for me. I'm having a good time. I hope you are too. <laughs> of course I am. Uh, we're going to get into some Cardinals Bengals talk and, of course, really dive into Joe Burrow versus Josh Dobbs. Who are you starting on your fantasy team? But. Speaking of real teams and the playoffs, the Diamondbacks have dropped their playoff roster for the NLDS. Yeah, so I'm trying to more so look at it of who's here and who's not compared to the CS. And I think the only one that I've noticed so far is no Bryce Jarvis this go-around. Okay. Um, trying to see who they would have replaced Jarvis with. Would it have been, no, Luis Frias was there. Well, either way, the roster is out. You can find it on the Diamondbacks Twitter account right now. I'm sure that us here at Arizona Sports will be turning that soon as well. But the one that I'm noticing so far is no Bryce Jarvis on the roster this time around. Uh, And then obviously no Jake McCarthy. That's something that, or yeah, no Jake McCarthy because as Tori said, the last go around, it's going to be several weeks before McCarthy can return, unfortunately. Yeah, that that is kind of an underrated loss in it all. And the Brewers series win kind of overshadowed, hey, Jake McCarthy's the kind of guy, he had an up and down season, literally up to the bigs, down to the minors, up yeah. and down, up and down. And then when he was here, it was peaks, it was valleys. He's the type of guy that in the playoffs, he will steal you a base. He'll have that clutch. It just feels like he's the type of dude to come in big time. But yeah. we're going to get some more some Diamondbacks next segment. We do have to dive into Cardinals Bengals. Among all the October madness in the MLB, the NFL season is really hitting its stride. And you know who's not hitting their stride? <laughs> it's the uh, Cincinnati Bengals. And oh, Joe boy. Burrow was asked earlier this week if this game against the Cardinals in week five... Think about that for a second. Is a must win. What is your mindset? 
this team's mindset going into Sunday's game? Gotta win, whatever it takes. You know, it doesn't have to be pretty, but gotta come out with a W. Does it feel like a must-win game to you guys in the locker room? Yes. Mad respect to Joe Burrow for understanding how important this Week 5 game is against the Arizona Cardinals. And I don't mean to demean this football team that we very much agree this team is not trying to tank. This team is trying oh, very hard no. week in and week out. They beat the Dallas Cowboys for Pete's sake. It was great. They were, the, they were the first team to defeat the Dallas Cowboys. America's team, right? This team's not tanking. The point being is that this Bengals team is kind of in a rut. Kind of? Well, okay. They dug the rut themselves, and it's starting to uh, they're starting to fill up with water. They accidentally hit the pipe when they were shoveling, and now it's all flooded and it's muddy. They're doing whatever they can to convince themselves that they are the team that two years ago was in the Super Bowl and one year ago was going toe-to-toe against the Kansas City Chiefs in an attempt to go back to the Super Bowl. They just don't look like that team right now. No, So going into this season, uh, Cardinals Corner with Tyler Drake and I, you're going to be able to hear us tomorrow after the game, a little bit later at night. Uh, we'll have a full recap. Tyler's going to be there in the building because it is a home game at State Farm Stadium tomorrow at 105. If you can't make it there, you can hear it right here, Arizona Sports 98.7 and the Arizona Sports app. But when we were doing our season previews, Tyler and I discussed you know, there might be just a straight climb in difficulty for the first five weeks. You start off against the Commanders, eh. then you can go against the Giants, a little bit less, eh, but still, eh, maybe more. <laughs> <laughs> then you get to the Cowboys, that's a way better team than the first two weeks. Then you go to San Francisco, who's better than Dallas. We were arguing, could you say the Bengals are better than the 49ers? And they could not be two more polar opposite teams right now. <laughs> and there was something that you found during the week that's just, honestly, <laughs> it's one of those things that really makes you evaluate what's going on with the Bengals. And that is, hey, is Joshua Dobbs a better starting quarterback in fantasy than Joe Burrow? Yeah, it's ESPN having this conversation a couple of days ago. I have Joe Burrow behind Josh Dobbs in my rankings this week, and it's not just that Burrow has struggled. It's that, as Mike pointed out recently, over the past three weeks, Joshua Dobbs is basically Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, mm-hmm. Lamar Jackson, QB5. Josh Allen level good. Yeah. How wild is that? Justin Herbert in there as well. Yeah, QB5. He's actually better than one of those five over the past four yeah. three weeks. Allen Jackson, Herbert Hurts are the only ones. He's better than fantasy points. Yeah. Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts, Justin Herbert, and Joshua Dobbs are the top five quarterbacks heading into the weekend in fantasy. Okay, I'm not, look, I'm not a fantasy guy, right? When when you and Burns and Gambo talk about your fantasy teams, I'm mostly just sitting Gambo. there. Yeah, mostly Gambo. <laughs> I'm just sitting there like a fly on the wall, right? I'm just sitting there, oh, that's funny, because I just, it's just not my speed. I don't care what type of football or what analytics or what way you're putting it, the fact that the words he's better than Mahomes came out of somebody's mouth when talking about Josh Dobbs yeah. <laughs> paints a perfect picture about how impressive he and the Cardinals offense has been this entire season. Now, look, he's all right. Look, he's not better than any of those guys I was listed. Right? He's, <laughs> he's not. And if you're going to take somebody for the next five years, you're going to be taking Joe Burrow over Josh Dobbs. 100%. There's, there's no question about it. But to your point about the Cardinals not tanking. Look, this roster, talent-wise, compared to teams that are competing like the 49ers, 
there's they're just not on the same level. They're on kind of a roster reset. Look at all the players they lost from last year to this year. Entirely new coaching staff. But when you watch them play, when you see the different schemes that they put out there, whether it's Nick Rallis on defense, Drew Petzing on offense, or Jonathan Gannon overlooking it all, this team is out there to absolutely win. And they have not played a single game this season. And we are a good amount of the way in where people have gone, man, you know what? The Cardinals just didn't try today. You know what? Their game plan was just lost. None of that has happened. And last year, two years ago, when they were winning, the conversation was, we're scratching our head because we don't understand what they're doing. We understand what they're doing now. And they might not win this Sunday, but they have a way better chance than everybody thought four weeks ago than they do right now. To put it in the simplest statistical terms, the Arizona Cardinals have four rushing touchdowns, four passing touchdowns, and one defensive touchdown this year. The Cincinnati Bengals have one rushing touchdown, two passing touchdowns, and a return touchdown on the season. Joe Burrow has two passing touchdowns. There is one rushing touchdown by the Bengals this year. And then here we are with looking at the Cardinals. Oh, and James Conner is a top back again. Right? He's he's getting those angry runs in there. So he's is Josh Dobbs. Oh my gosh, Josh Dobbs looks like an animal out there when he's running the football. They're making it work. This offense seems to be coherent and looking good. And then you look at the other side and you're looking at the Bengals and thinking, oh, but Joe Burrow can solve that. But right now he can't. And you know what I compare it to real quick? Remember when Justin Herbert hurt his ribs yeah. last year? But he wasn't like hurt enough that he wasn't going to play. I heard this comp on a different podcast that I was listening to earlier this week. Like, if you're the Bengals, you're kind of stuck like the Chargers were last year because he's your best option, but he's not fully healthy enough to give you the Joe Burrow that you know he is with this ankle injury that he's dealing with or this calf injury excuse yeah, me, calf. that he's dealing with right now. And there's nothing you can do to really fix that because your backup is Jake Browning. It's, well, and that's, you know, you look at the Bengals' struggles. You don't want to say, okay, well, it's all because Joe Burrow came into the season unhealthy. But there's a reason why that man got paid so much money this offseason. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why Jamar Chase is upset right now. And if you think back to preseason when Burrow did injure his calf on a non-contact play, Jamar Chase was like, hey, as long as you're here past week five, that's all we care about. Nobody <laughs> wanted him to rush back. He's not looked healthy or honestly marginally better. In any of these weeks, and he's not even on the injury report. He's injured, though. Like, he just is. And that's a huge factor, and I would not be surprised. If they lose this game, you got to start looking at, at sitting him. Because this is going to start becoming a lost season, a calf injury, a muscle injury. You don't want to test that. You don't. But you can find out for yourself if the Bengals put it all together when they take on the Cardinals tomorrow. 105 once again. You can hear that plus hours of pregame coverage beforehand. You can hear it right here on Arizona Sports 98.7 and the Arizona Sports app. Also right here on 98.7 and the Arizona Sports app is D-backs Dodgers tonight. The NLDS starts Oh, and it's a little bit of a rematch, ain't it? We're going to dive more into it next. It's Arizona Sports Saturday. Eric Ruby filling in for Steve Zinsmeister alongside Mitch Veraldas. Mitch Veraldas, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. That's us. Well, kind of. I'm here, Mitch. Filling in for Steve, Eric Ruby today. Hey there. 
You'll hear him again tomorrow after the Cardinals-Bengals game with another edition of Cardinals Corner Podcast with him and Tyler Drake. Got Trevor Henry behind the glass today. I'm just looking up at the TVs in here, Eric, in our auction community studios. We've got some really great sports options today. We've got the first of four MLB playoff games, one inning in between the Texas Rangers and the Baltimore Orioles. They're scoreless. Uh, the Orioles, the best team in the American League this past year or this past uh, what a regular sentence. season. That's what a so sentence. weird to say, right? <laughs> yeah, you know the Orioles, the best team in the American League. What? What? <laughs> Far we've come, right? They've got some really fun players to watch, though. And this Texas team, they've they've spent a lot of money the past couple of seasons. And it's starting to pay dividends this year, for sure. No Scherzer, right? No, no Scherzer, Scherzer on their, on the on their roster. Yeah. So they've got Andrew Heaney going today, I saw. Um, of course, they signed Jacob DeGrom, and then he had to end his season early with Tommy John. Again, God, just a rough road for DeGrom. And then there's three college football games that we put on in here, and all for a good reason. LSU against Missouri. That's a 23 against the number 21. It's 27-25 LSU in Missouri right now. And then you've got the Red River rivalry between Oklahoma and Texas. And this might be loss number one for Texas. It's 27-17 in favor of Oklahoma. And then on the far right t- TV, we got a tie game at the Big House. Um, or sorry, at the Shoe. Sorry for my uh, mispronounce there. And Ohio State, they actually just picked off the Maryland QB, but that's a tie game, 17-17. So a lot of great football, a lot of great baseball going on today. It's going to be a good one. I wonder what uh, Ryan Day has to say to people in retirement homes if they barely win this game as well. <laughs> I wonder what... Uh, I wonder what's going to happen with that. But How's great, Lou Holtz doing? Is he okay? <laughs> hey, look, man, as great as all these games are, I, I'm i starting to get, not get excited, but feel that excitement Oh yeah, for tonight. Because as much as I hate the Dodgers, and as much as I hate the fact that the Diamondbacks have to play the Dodgers, this series is going to be, one way or another, exciting. And the Diamondbacks, in general... This entire season is going to be considered a success no matter what happens. So in a sense, they're playing without a ton of pressure on them. Now, that doesn't mean that they don't care or that it doesn't matter if they don't win. You've seen them party. Mm -hmm. They care if they win. But man, the kind of culmination, right? We mentioned the Orioles going from losing 100 plus games a couple years ago to now leading the AL. The Diamondbacks are in a similar boat. Two like seasons exactly ago. Exactly similar. T- two seasons ago. Over 100 losses, man. That was over 110. Like that, that's, <laughs> look, that's not normal. <laughs> and now, no, it's not. And now you look at a team that they just swept the Brewers in the wild card. They are the biggest underdog in the second round. So they're not, let's say, arrived as a dominant powerhouse, but they are such a young team with a couple veteran influences. It's, it's a lot of fun. And they create chaos, which is a lot of fun. And that, I feel like, in general, has been my biggest takeaway from this whole season. There's been some moments that haven't been fun. But overall, you're going to remember this season. You're going to be like, wow, remember Corbin Carroll's rookie season? You remember how amazing he was that he put up stats that have never been seen before by a rookie? He was nominated for the Hank Aaron Award with the lights of Ronald Acuna Jr. on a 40-70 season. Like, come on, man. That's cool. This will go down as... And I think no matter how it finishes, this will go down as one of the best Diamondback seasons in their franchise history. I could even make an argument for top five, just about how, just because of how fun it has been to watch this team. Top five how, is 
how quickly they've been able to adapt to the rules. I mean, look, when you win a World Series, yeah. that's the number one. I get that. What else would you throw in there? Would you throw in the 07? Yeah. Would you throw in the 11? Well, that's so let's talk about the 11 a little bit. Ooh. Because, oh, yes. Let's. Because, because here's the thing, right? As far as before they played the Brewers, yeah. That was that was a great season. That's that's one of their best seasons of all time. But as far as the sour taste that was left in their mouth after that, especially after learning that Ryan Braun wasn't exactly clean when he dominated against him, more or less. Nope. That Hebrew hammer had a little extra juice, as it turns just out. Just a little bit. Emphasis on <laughs> juice. Um, you know, it's it's hard to look at 2011 and be like, wow, what a great season, right? And a lot of the times what happens at the end does kind of determine what happens before. And you know what? If the Diamondbacks give the Dodgers a run for their money or they do advance to the championship series, mm-hmm. then we're having this conversation is one of the best Diamondback seasons of all time. No, no question about that. But right now, I mean, it's up there. Sure. I'll give you top five, maybe later in top five. But as far as like somebody from my perspective, right? Somebody that's like a, a fan. Mm-hmm. I have never been more excited about the future of Diamondbacks baseball and the fact that I can feel that way, not when they're losing, not when, oh man, they're, you know, they almost made the playoffs, but they didn't. And they have a lot of guys coming up next year. No, you feel that way because of a couple reasons. Not only are they successful this year, rookies like Gabriel Moreno, Brandon Fott, that guy named Corbin Carroll. You got your other young guys that have also stepped up as well. I'm looking at the next two, three years, guys under control, injuries aside, this is one of the most excited I've ever felt, if not the most excited I've ever felt about the future of Diamondbacks baseball. But man, we still got tonight. And that, like, <laughs> that is such a beautiful combination to have. To have, okay, we can look at next year and we can talk about how great next year might be. Heck, you should probably talk about them competing for the top of the NLS next year. Mm. Well, I mean, look, at they one were point, this year. <laughs> at one point this year, they were the top of the NLS, and it evened out a bit. And, and they had their highs and they had their lows, and the lows were really low. Yeah, <laughs> really low. And you hope that that kind of evens out, and the highs become more consistent, and the lows become less dramatic next year. But you're we're sitting here, the Diamondbacks. It's not like they're down two zero to the Dodgers, right? No, it, it's zero zero. Game one tonight. They have a good chance of beating this team. That's not like some oh they're they yeah they made it there woohoo no they have a good chance of winning they're Very. underdogs but they have a good chance. It's funny there was a great piece that uh, ESPN insider Jeff Passan did this week where he kind of he made his own grading scale and ranked everybody's aspects of certain positions right so like the top three starters in your rotation. Uh, how many strikeouts does your bullpen arms get? How much power does your offense have? And the Diamondbacks finished dead last out of the eight teams. Should I be surprised? No. But what did we learn about being surprised about an underdog in the prior series against the Brewers? I think what I learned is we all went into that expecting the Brewers to be a powerhouse in the lineup team. Oh, it ended up being the Diamondbacks. We expected the Brewers to be a shutdown team with their bullpen going all the way down to Devin Williams. Oh, turns out it was the Diamondbacks that had a bullpen that didn't allow a single run and very few base runners as it was. I can't believe, like, there's so many things about, I guess, the season in Major League Baseball that have been kind of unbelievable. 
Nothing more so than the fact that the Diamondbacks' strength in the postseason is their bullpen. Shout out to Brent Strom. Shout out to Mike Hazen for adding guys like Paul Seawald and Ryan Thompson. <laughs> Ginkle has been <laughs> incredible, an absolute revelation this entire year. And now that he settled into his role, he <laughs> he didn't have a great second game against the Brewers, but sure. his first game, four strikeouts as a bullpen guy. But that's what we expect out of Paul Seawald at this point, right? Well, I was talking about Ginkle. Oh, about Kevin Ginkle. Well, yeah, we started to see a little bit of the shine wear off after he got his first loss of the season. And we're thinking, oh, no, a loss by a bullpen pitcher. Oh, the humanity. No, Kevin's been awesome. Paul's been awesome. Andrew Saltfrank has been love a revelation, him. man. I love Every time he walks in, I'm confident. I'm like, okay, we're good. We're good. He's barely <laughs> been in the majors for like, what, two months? And just think, you could probably have all four of those guys next year between Saul Frank, Thompson, Seawald, yeah. and Ginkle. You definitely, and that's a pretty solid four. And everybody else, you know, for as much hate as a lot of the other bullpen has gotten, and a lot of the times deservedly so, they're not going to be overtaxed because of what those guys that we had mentioned before are doing. Paul Seawald doesn't like to take a lot of credit for it, but just being, hey, yeah, you're the closer. We know you're the closer, and everybody else knows their role before that means that even when you have to stretch outside of your role a little bit, you're already so comfortable going into it that you don't mind, right? Gingle's like, okay, I got to go an extra batter. I got to go a full inning. That's fine. Like, it's okay. I can do that because I know that Paul Seawald's got me on the other end. And the Dodgers bullpen, it's a conversation. Who has the better bullpen? Who's going to be able to shut down that down more? And then you look to starters. On paper, it's clear. The Diamondbacks have the better starting pitching. And you're going to be able to see if all five games happen, Zach Gallen and Merrill Kelly twice. If it Those, goes the Diamondbacks way. Absolutely. Right. Brandon fought not the best postseason debut. They still won the game. And among it all, the answer backs, they've been doing it all season. A lot of their wins came from A, behind, or B, just a close one run victory. And while they might not have the best offense and possibly maybe the worst on paper offense out of all the teams left, they have the best defense. The answer backs are answering back so much they're practically on speed dial. That's good. I'll give you that. Babe. I'll give you that. Tried to, tried to steal Dennis Miller. It didn't work out too well. We're going to be talking about Diamondbacks a lot today, so don't go far. But coming up next, basketball. And I know there is one dude who is absolutely ecstatic for the return of Suns basketball. Hint, he's sitting right next to me. We'll talk Suns next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Welcome back in to Arizona Sports Saturday. It might be October, but it is uh, still very hot outside. So make sure you're drinking your it's water. It's going to be 100 degrees at ASU kickoff today. Gosh. Kickoff at 3.30, which you know they planned a day game because they thought that it was not going to be 100 degrees outside in October. Well, yeah. you thought wrong. Eric Ruby here filling in for Steve Zinsmeister alongside the ever-steady Mitch Veraldez. Really quickly. I think this is the game. They're also debuting the uh, glow-in-the-dark uniforms. In the middle of the day? That was my reaction, too. Wait, are that you serious? Well so, okay. In defense of the university, I don't think they get to choose when the game is on. But they get like to choose the jerseys? Time. Right. So I wonder <laughs> if they're swapping it around, because I don't think a glow-in-the-dark uni works at 
thirty in the afternoon. Well, it might not. It might only be dark by the very, very end of the game. Maybe just in time to be spooky enough. Right? Imagine. Okay, it would be. <laughs> it would be a little funny. It'd be a little funny if ASU like gets blown out by Colorado. Not that part's not funny. No, but. <laughs> they're walking off the field. It's starting to get dark, and their uniforms start glowing. Oh, <laughs> I can see funny. that. I can see that all over ESPN. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be kind of funny. Like, not only did they lose the game, but they chose to wear their glow-in-the-dark uniforms on a day game. Arizona State exits the field to a glow-in-the-dark masterpiece or <laughs> something as they get trounced sixty to seven. I, yeah. Okay, for the record, I hope that doesn't happen. No, of course not. We're all ASU alums here. Well, some of us. Somebody's rooting for a, a better college football team today, as it turns out. Right, Trev? That's right. Currently, we're doing all right. <laughs> you and your Michigan blue, I tell you. <sighs> that's a perfect segue. Oh. Because speaking of Michigan, that's where the Suns are going to be to start the preseason tomorrow at noon. Thank you. All right, guys. That's it for Arizona Sports Saturday. I'm going to let Mitch take over the rest Eric's of the way. That's a master segue. Okay. Look, I am... I'm beyond excited for this sun season, and that does bleed into preseason. Head coach Frank Vogel confirmed that, yes, Devin Booker and Kevin Durant will be playing tomorrow at noon. Now, look, they're not going to play a lot. They're just not going to because no. it's the preseason. But this preseason schedule, I kind of wish was the schedule to start the season or at least was soon, like, like soon after their season opener against the Warriors on the 24th. Because you start off in Detroit. Oh, Pistons, Suns, what's the history there? Oh, just the fact that Monty Williams is now the head coach of the Detroit Pistons in his first year after being fired or mutually let go by the Phoenix Suns. Then you got the defending champion Nuggets. That's going to be on Tuesday. Then you have two games against the Portland Trailblazers that didn't get interesting until last week when D.A. got sent there. <laughs> and then you end the preseason taking on the Lakers. There's always intrigue there. But this is going to be the, the first look that we get, hopefully, at Beal, Booker, Durant, Nurkic, and who will that fifth starter be? <sighs> Do we want to play the guessing game right now? Sure. If you had to guess. I'd go with Josh Akogi because yeah. of the prior experience with a majority of this particular lineup and a lineup that is already so heavy offensively, or at least was heavy offensively when DeAndre Ayton was still the starting center. You need a guy that's good on defense and then in a pinch may surprise you offensively as another threat from outside three. So I lean a Koki personally as the guy that's going to get the first looks. I don't know if look. So if he starts Sunday, that doesn't necessarily guarantee that he's going to be the game one. Number five. For this team. No. I Look, think it's the first option, and I think it's the best option, though. I, it's definitely, the I, I think, the first option. I, I do agree with you there. I, I think that Okogi, just because he's been here before, he does have some chemistry with Booker and Durant. Of course, Bradley Beal and Yusuf Nurkic will be new to that equation. Mm -hmm. He's also positionally probably the best fit. You could go for, okay, what about a guard, right? What about an Eric Gordon well, then Devin Booker's playing small forward. You're a little bit, you're a little bit small on that feels end. It just like, doesn't really fit. Feels like with Eric, he's more of a closing lineup option. Not right. To, not to say that I would be opposed to him starting because he certainly has to have that experience and has been in the NBA long enough that he would be a very quality starter. I find him more to be an option of a closing presence and say, you know, a clutch time game, final five mm -hmm. minutes, and it's within five points on both sides. 
I find Eric Gordon to be that kind of a guy that you want on the floor in those final moments. Yeah. Especially, especially now that you have Nurkic, who can, you know, what Rudy Gobert was in Utah, where he basically just accepts all of the defensive liability in the final five. Mm -hmm. Because he's the only one on the floor that can actually play defense in that group. Right. I also think that you have to give some love to Kata Bates-Diop because, so, here's the thing. The fifth starter should be somebody who's primarily defensively focused, in my opinion. That's why I'm not looking at an Eric Gordon or a Yuta Watanabe. They're going to get plenty of run with the starters because that type of shooting and that type of spacing is, it's going to be deadly. I mean, if we're not talking starting lineup and you have a Yuta, Durant, Booker, Beal around the passing of Yusuf Nurkic in the middle... Defenses are going to be sprinting and running like chickens with their head cut off to try to stop somebody from shooting a three and getting a nice, wide-open, efficient bucket. But those are the types of looks you want to throw maybe just in the middle of the game once you get the feel for it. Kata Bates-Diop and Josh Okogie are the two leaders in the clubhouse, it just just in my mind, because Okogie is going to be your best point of attack defender, your best perimeter defender, if you want to put it in a, a different way. Yeah. He did prove... At the end of the regular season, if you don't remember, before being benched in the playoffs by Monty, which is, I believe, part of the reason why he is in Detroit coaching and not here with the Suns, <laughs> Okogi was killing it defensively and offensively. I still can't get over that play that he had against, was it Josh Green or KPJ? When yeah, they, on the when Rockets. They were playing the Rockets. Yeah. And he's literally toe-to-toe against him, goes up, swipes the ball away with one hand, and goes to the other end and jams it. I still cannot get over that. You that get is about as great a defensive possession as you can have. You put your Booker and your Dur your Durant up there, but you could argue that Josh Okogie had the best highlight reel of any son last year. Yeah. He had so many posters, hustle plays. He's that type of guy that he told a story. Frank Vogel briefly spoke to him in an elevator once early in his career, and all he said was, I like your game. And the moment <laughs> the moment that I I really was like, you know what? I don't know if this this guy's gonna be like great. But he's going to have a role in the league for a while just because of his defensive instincts. All the way back when he was in Minnesota. I don't know how many people remember this. But he was top of the key guarding prime James Harden. MVP level James Harden in an ISO. He hit his patented semi-travel step back move. And Josh Okogie blocked that. Do people understand how hard that is? The fact that he blocked <laughs> that he blocked a jump shot, even though he did it this season as well, but a hardened step back jumper. The signature move, man. Exactly. This guy has defensive instincts to the T. Kata Bates D up, though, brings a little bit of a different look. He would be at the four. That means you move KD at the three. Then you're looking at length, right? That's a really tall three. <laughs> a Kogi, right. A Kogi is a great defender great instincts he's not small but as far as length goes Kata Bates Diop has Mikhail Bridges level wingspan that's rare in the NBA and having that guy who was also able to shoot a good percentage from three while starting for the Spurs last year so he's has starting reps with a lower level team but he was a higher option now you're gonna go you're gonna defend your butt off and you're gonna shoot wide open threes and hustle Kata Bates Diop can fill that mold don't be surprised if Frank Vogel has a different starter for multiple games throughout the season. It might not be, okay, Akogi game one, and then Kata Bates Diop game two, and then Yuta game three. It might be five games of Akogi, five games of KBD, five games of Yuta, five games of Eric Gordon, just so you could see, because at the end of the day, we don't we have never seen we've never seen a team with the collection of talent and shot making of Booker, Beal, and Durant. And we certainly have never seen that without a traditional point guard. You need to find 
how those three can work best when they're on the court together. Your starting lineup's a great way to test that out. Josh Okogie, I think, gets the first nod, but I don't think he gets every nod. I can agree with you in the sense of, oh, you got to make sure you know what you have. You got to make sure you know what the best option is. But then I start to get scared because what was one of the bigger complaints that we had down the stretch after they made the Durant trade, particularly in the playoffs? Monty Williams doesn't know what to do. Monty Williams didn't know who to put out there at what time. Monty Williams didn't know yeah. who to start out there at certain times. So you giving the example of, oh, yes, Vogel has to figure out who his starting five is. I get that. I understand that. But it makes me incredibly nervous because then I feel like we're going right back to where we were a few months ago where this team just had no clear understanding of what was the best option to throw out there and what was the most consistent option to throw out there. That makes me nervous. Here's the difference, though. Right. What you're talking about was after the Durant trade, which is for a late season massive blockbuster trade, we probably haven't seen anything like it. And if we have, it's not coming to mind. Then you have, let's be honest here, your depth around your team. The only guys that are returning are Damian Lee and Josh Okogi. Right. You're looking at Terrence Ross. TJ Warren. These were two players that were on and off and on Torrey and off. Craig. Torrey Craig. Jock Landale. Bismack Biombo. Look, those guys serviced the Suns as well as they could. And yes, Monty Williams didn't do the best job of figuring that out. Now they have a full season. The talent level is higher. And the buy-in is different when you're coming into a season like this. I have a feeling that they're going to be able to mix and match successfully. But Suns season starts tomorrow. Preseason, that's noon. You can hear it on ESPN 620 in the Arizona Sports app. But first comes tonight is D-backs Dodgers. We're going to continue to preview game one of the NLDS next on Arizona Sports Saturday right here on the local sports leader.